Welcome to the life of a global desi. A podcast that connects like-minded desis all over the globe by conforming to stereotypes and breaking them. Introducing Life of a Global Desi interviews. Yes, we bring to you our conversations with remarkable global desis who are doing some truly cool things in life. The idea is to bring fresh perspectives, add diverse voices, and expand the global desi community. On to our episode now. Our first guest is Arvind Ishwar, a technophile and a serial entrepreneur who currently heads international expansion for Itilite, a business travel SaaS platform. Prior to this, he founded two companies, Monoboard and Allsoul. He started off as a consultant with McKinsey from 2011 to 2013, since then has transitioned to the startup world. Apart from startups, sports, especially tennis floats his boat. But today, you will be hearing him demystify vipassana and meditation, which, believe it or not, helped him get more connected to the real world as opposed to the virtual one. All right, hi everyone. I'm Archana and I'm Aarti. Hey guys, I'm Arvind. <laughs> hi. Hi Arvind. <laughs> Uh, welcome to the Life of a Global Desi podcast. Um, we have a very special surprise for you all today on this episode. As you have already heard, we have a third person on this podcast. Everyone, please welcome Arvind Ishwar. Yay! Hey guys, thank you so much for calling me. Really appreciate. I mean, really appreciate the fact that you called me. Awesome. So, Arthi, how do we know Arvind? Okay, so. I know Arvind since 11th grade we both went to high school together and um so I would describe Arvind as someone who's sporty funny mm-hmm. uh, he has a very unique sense of humor um super entrepreneurial and uh, in school he was known as the dude from Srinagar with the american accent go figure <laughs> <laughs> but overall uh, I would describe him as a good friend for the most part <laughs> Awesome. So, full disclosure guys, I have only come to know about Arvind through Aarti. Although given that he's also an army brat, we have a lot of common friends and um, you know, know know of each other. So, for me and for the listeners who would like to know Arvind better, Arvind, here's an icebreaker. Room, desk, car. Which would you clean first and why? Uh, neither, none of them. not particularly clean <laughs> but if you gave me a choice probably my desk okay i guess that i don't know what that says about you i suppose um are you studious why would you clean your desk and not your car or yeah. your room i don't know i mean it, uh, cleaning my desk gives me a sense of freedom it removes mental mental clutter um room does not give me the same kind of decluttering feel that i get from clear, uh, clearing my desk okay fair enough fair enough um i'll let the listeners figure out what what you know that means and what they can take away f- from that about you cool so let's jump right in um the first thing we wanted to understand from you arvin is what were some of your early influences growing up right something that you can think about in terms of uh, maybe a place or books or people what were your early influences um so i don't know i mean arvin have spoken about this in the past so ever since i was about 9 or 10 years old 
uh, I always wanted to be a, a entrepreneur. I mean, a startup, a startup founder, something which I learned later on. But always wanted to build stuff. Always wanted to do something, right? Um, Mm-hmm. Having uh, having said that, the first company I started was when I was ten years old. It was pretty cute. So we it was the time when Excel was new. I, I learned a little bit of Excel. My teachers didn't know Excel, so we used to like uh, build Excel workbooks and sell it to our teachers. And they were sweet enough, or kind enough, or generally needed it. I don't know, but they actually bought it from us. Uh, so that kind of uh, that kind of uh, kindled this bug in me. But coming more specifically to influences. Um, I've always been really fond of sports. So uh, right through my childhood and through my early teens and even late teens, it's been athletes who have inspired me. Um, to begin with, it was prob- it was the cricketers of the world because that was what, what really influenced me. So I've always been like a diehard Tendulkar fan. And then later on, uh, maybe once I, got in, once I really got involved into tennis, so that was 12, 13, once I was 13 or 14, then I've just been a major Federer fan. And that continues till today, right? It's been almost 15 years since then. Uh, but my uh, adoration of Federer hasn't, like, dimmed at all. These are the overarching uh, sports influences. But uh, otherwise, right? I mean, just what really influences me today, who people who really influence me today are just people who are making significant impact. And I can name, like, a litany of startup founders who fall in that category. Uh, but yes, man, I mean, I do derive a lot of... In- inspiration from a lot of entrepreneurs doing phenomenal work today. That's great. And it sounds like entrepreneurship and obviously sports played a pretty important part in your life growing up. That's that's really great in terms of, you know, just the, the skills that you might have learned from both of these or picked up from the both of these uh, facets of life. What we wanted to focus on today's episode is something um you know, fairly new to me, mm-hmm. but I know that two people on this episode, both you and Aarti, um, are very familiar with and have re- have recently connected a lot over, right? Which is mm-hmm. Vipassana. So let's um, let's dive into that and learn a little bit more about it. For those of us who don't probably know too much about Vipassana, can you describe um, what Vipassana is? Sure. Um, so, I mean, from the very basic form of it, Vipassana or Vipassana is actually a meditation technique. Uh, so there are different forms of meditation, right? So... I mean, broadly in the Western world, you call it mindfulness meditation and transcendental meditation. Um, so mindfulness meditation is essential. So the very basic form of it, which is very popular in media, is uh, breath observation, uh, where you just focus on your breath and try to center your mind, focus your mind, um, and just sharpen your mind, so to say. There are various levels to it. That's, mm-hmm. the, that's the surface level of it. The deeper level of Vipassana meditation is that there is, there is a, without getting too metaphysical, I'll try to keep it as basic as possible. Uh, but essentially, there is a, there is a mind matter connection. So every, uh, so every thought that you have, or or every sense, or, or every wave that passes through your mind creates a certain sensation on your body, right? Uh, just by observing, just by observing that, observing the sensations in your body, you actually become, you build a certain level of equanimity in your mind, and you. And you kind, maybe mm-hmm. Arthi could help me out a little, but essentially what, what it basically means is just by observing the sensations in your body, observing your breath patterns, you are able to disconnect yourself, abstract yourself out of your reality and observe yourself from a higher level, right? So that is the, that is, that is mm-hmm. I mean, that's the core premise of uh, Vipassana. Of Vipassana. Uh, however, most of us do it for different reasons. I really, um, 
so the reason why I do Vipassana is largely for the fact that it gives me complete control, or I won't say complete control, but gives me significantly greater control over my mind, my thoughts, and my emotions, as opposed to uh, earlier when I used to not do it. Right. So I'm not doing it. I mean, there are different reasons why you could pick this up. Uh, maybe I'm not picking picking it up entirely for the um, for for detachment or all the other Buddhist tenets. I pick it up more to get more out of myself, get a complete control over my mind and my emotions and stuff like that. Got it. So it sounds like what drew you to Vipassana was the fact that you could use your skills or, or I guess your mind to the fullest potential. Would you, would that be? Yeah, accurate? so it's a, it's a journey, right? So I think uh, like, mm-hmm. like a lot of things in life, Vipassana has to discover you before you discover it. Uh, wow. so, <laughs> so, <laughs> so essentially, um, ever since I've been 18 or 19, I've been in quite a self-improvement, self-development sort of a journey, right? And um, initially, it starts mm-hmm. off with like, hey, listen, let's listen to inspirational scenes and movies and let's pump myself up. Then it probably transcends into uh, listening to somebody like a Tony Robbins or a Super, like a really good motivational speaker, but soon enough, you as you uh, as you discover more and more of it, you realize it's all about your mind. And then sooner or later, you will stumble upon uh, meditation. And the deeper you want to get into meditation, um, you realize the retreats are the best. And uh, Vipassana found me that way, right? So it's been so. The first retreat that I did, Vipassana retreat, was 2016, uh, and I did a retreat again last year. These are 10-day retreats, but you know, I mean. I've never taken a vacation or done anything in my life which makes me feel as good as uh, going through a Vipassana meditation retreat. That's incredible. So you mentioned it's a 10-day retreat. Um, and I know that, you know, both you and Aarti have connected a lot on it and spoken about it. Aarti, do, do you, can you share what the logistics of this 10-day retreat are? Like, are you sitting, chilling on a beach somewhere and, <laughs> you know, relaxing? Is it is it like a vacation? What do you do really? Well... I, I'd say that it's not like your traditional vacation. It's definitely not like, um, oh, you're just going to go or like party or this or just chill. In fact, Vipassana can be kind of challenging for a lot of people. Uh, but essentially what you're doing at this retreat is um, it the environment is definitely super green and very close to nature. But for 10 days straight, you are meditating for 10 hours a day. And Hmm. you are not interacting with anyone or speaking with anyone or communicating in any form, whether through signage or even looking straight in the eye um, at some other person. So in that sense, it is pretty stringent, I'd say. Yeah, and just to add uh, add some Hmm. flavor to it, right? it's brutal, right? I mean, you're not, uh, it's, it's, brutal, it's brutal, but it's, kind of, it's the kind of brutality that you really kind of want. Uh, so you wake, up at, you wake up at 3.45 in the morning, your first meditation session starts at, at 4-ish. Uh, then you meditate, and you're practically meditating through... That sounds the- brutal, man. <laughs> Seriously. <laughs> you know, and you're practically meditating through the day with small breaks in between, right? So you're meditating from morning to night with small breaks in between. And, uh, and and living a life of complete minimalism, right? So it's, uh, you stay, I mean, uh, so the first time you do Vipassana, you stay in a dormitory. The second time you do Vipassana, you get a private room. Uh, but it's still very minimalistic. It's, 
you're essentially just you're meditating through the day with like little breaks and the more advanced you are apparently you're not even supposed to take those breaks you just keep meditating so just to give some context meditation is two parts right so the first initial part of meditation is where you just focus on your breath to sharpen your mind uh, the next part of meditation is where you scan your body right mm-hmm. so um, you can do either you can do either form uh, but for the for the 10 days that you're there you're you're only doing this you're not doing anything else mhm yeah so like for the first 5 days you're doing like you're observing your own breath and like from day 5 onwards you actually learn the vipassana technique of scanning your body and um, often they say that most people who like feel like this is not for them leave either on day 2 like mm. after they can't start the first day or on day 6 as soon as they introduced to the vipassana technique and they just realize this is crazy and um that also happens not just because they think like it's you know it, it's uh, it's just tough in terms of just endurance being able to sit for 10 hours straight uh you know with minimal breaks in the middle um it's it's also because it so vipassana when you're observing your breath and your like bodily sensations you are connecting uh with your mind and in some ways unlocking like the channels to your subconscious and hmm. for a lot of people people have you know are known to have like a lot of bizarre experiences while they're there during those 10 days and not everyone can handle dealing with you know stuff from the past or like you know just thoughts that invade you but if you just you know persevere persevere to, oh man how do you say persevere persevere <laughs> persevere yeah, you're right through, okay persevere through those 10 days like persevere it it, it helps thanks arvind <laughs> it it helps i believe arvind was quite the grammar nazi no no not at all like, <laughs> no <laughs> okay continue arzi but yeah like you actually can like work through a lot and like it you can make some breakthrough uh breakthroughs with like a lot of things that you've been either you know dealing with from the past whether it be like mm-hmm. emotional trauma or any kind of trauma or even the whole idea behind just staying in that position so once you actually establish a certain position and you start uh you know doing the meditation for like the next mm-hmm. hour hour and a half you're pretty much maintaining the exact same position you are not allowed to move an inch even wow you and you mean physically like literally physically physically even if you feel pain even if you feel numbness even if your legs fallen asleep you're pretty much in that exact same position and by the end of the day it's mind over matter right it's hmm. mind over like your bodily sensations whatever you're feeling and you're strengthening that muscle of your mind doing it more and more and um the whole idea is to break both mind and body habit patterns that we fall into whether it be in terms of like this posture that you know you like slump into over time or like sure. just thinking thought patterns that you you know regress to all the time you're here you are actually taking control over your mind versus just falling into whatever is your default mode of functioning got it talking about thought patterns one thing that was really interesting to me and when i think about something like vipassana as someone who you know might consider it in the future arvind and arthi what are the thoughts that are running through your mind when you're literally quiet and meditating for 10 hours straight and hopefully sleeping for the rest of the time or um you know everything else that's involved what are you thinking about and what are you trying to think about or are there things you shouldn't think about what is the guideline around that yeah so uh 
Yeah, so let me let me let me take a stab at it, right? So when you go in, you're generally, I mean, I can't speak for everyone, but for myself, generally, you're going in, perhaps for a certain reason, right? So the first time I did it, um, I did Vipassana. I had just I, I I had just quit my job at Swiggy, and I was on the cusp of doing a startup. I was on the cusp of actually joining my sister, but then uh, we decided not to do uh, the startup together, and I wanted to branch out on my own. So I went there to get some clarity as to what should I do. Um, so that's why I went for my first Vipassana. My second Vipassana, I went for different reasons. So um, when you get in there, the guiding principle is, hey, listen, if your mind is wandering and you're thinking of thoughts, that's not what you should do. You should always uh, be focused. The idea is to have control over your mind instead of your mind um, run amok in like 20 different directions, right? Um, so that's just a guiding principle. So whether you are um, walking walking through the Vipassana campus or whether you are in your room or whether you're in the meditation hall, uh, just a general directive is not to uh, let your mind wander. Um, so while you're there, you try to do that. Uh, that's what you do. In my case specifically, I ended up walking a lot. So between every... Uh, so between every session, I used to I used to walk uh, in the afternoons for some bizarre reason. I don't know if it's true with Aarti. I found it really hard to sleep while I was at my vipassana. Interesting. Yeah. And walking is the only activity that you're allowed. Is that correct? Like, can you exercise? Can you do burpees, crunches? <laughs> no, none of that. So okay. walking is the only thing that you are allowed. The specific instruction which says that hey, listen, you cannot actually perform any physical exercise. Uh, you can walk at best. Yes, and they say you can do yoga if you have permission from your instructor or your master. But like, I tried taking permission and I got denied the permission. She was like, why? Just relax. And I was like, okay. That's so interesting. Do you but, know why that is though? Like, why do you think it is so stringent? Is it, I, I don't yeah. know, I can't think of a so good it's reason. So it's a part of like the eightfold path, right? Even walking, you're supposed to, the whole time you're there, you're supposed to maintain a noble silence. And noble silence means your eyes need to be downcast the entire time. So even if you are walking uh, like in the nature, you're not looking at people, you're walking past. You just, you know, you can observe nature, but your eyes are always downcast as if you are the only soul on this planet. Mm. Um, and the Eightfold Path is essentially like the Buddhist Eightfold Path. And the first time the Pasana goes, like follow the first five precepts which include like you're not allowed to uh, sing dance steal lie or like indulge in like luxuries so we our meals are actually we have one meal we have breakfast uh, after our first morning sitting and then in the afternoon you have like a meal and um, for second uh, repeating students they don't even have like a they don't have dinner like we have something called a snack which is often just popcorn and like uh, you know ragi milk uh, but uh, for repeating students they just have like lemonade for dinner so there's no dinner so it's like intermittent fasting essentially and you're just living a very ascetic you know lifestyle like you're living like mm -hmm. a monk for all intents Got and it. purposes exactly you are living like a monk right so uh, <clears throat> yeah yeah so it is it's actually for a lot of us That's... it's for it's also detox right i mean after the after the tox after toxicity you put yourself through through regular life, going for a 10-day retreat is detox. 
that's a very interesting thing you said. I I guess like one of the questions I I had for you guys was, you know, why do you think it's important? Like why do you think it's important in today's context? And and you alluded a little bit to that Arvind, right? I think there are two things, right? One is uh let's get into the simpler part. So first is just getting into 10 days of a very regimented lifestyle has like um a major impact on you even going forward, right? Because uh generally when you are um, you're just living life you i mean you you slip a lot here for 10 days it is you're in isolation following everything to the hilt um you're not you're not eating you're not eating bad you're not drinking you're not smoking you're not doing anything right so to really upset your rhythm um so that's just the basic part of it the next part of it is for 10 days you are you are focusing your mind and your Okay, let me put it this way. Just by fo- just the act of focusing your mind on your breath or your body sensations gives you a clarity that you can never ever or at least I could never ever get from just like doing anything else. So, well I when I did my first vipassana, maybe on day 3 or day 4, right? And by day 3 day 4 you've probably put in about 30 hours of meditation. Uh I just came out with I was like, "Wow, man, I have never really experienced such clarity in my life." I I just had like insights that I would ordinarily never get. I used to walk around. You just fall in love with your company so much while you're there because uh, the only person you're really interacting with is you yourself, right? So you're walking around loving your company. And maybe the reason I was taking such long walks is because I love my company so much. That that's so interesting. Yeah. So just sense of clarity and clarity in what sense? About what? About work, life, clarity about what I think um, what this does is it helps you step back so abstract yourself from your current situation and look down right so you get a birds eye view of a, of of the world of exactly what you're going through every, anywhere else um so that kind of clarity because you are so i think i think the two reasons why this happens one is that you're away from everything else uh and just to say away right one of the the instructions when you enter is you deposit your phone you deposit uh your your books you deposit a notebook whatever so there's ex- literally no external stimulation that you have with you there so the first thing is so you're away from everything everything else so you actually get time to reflect and think and the second thing is since you are fo- channeling since you're focusing your mind every moment your mind is a lot uh, acute and sharper as well right so both those things work in conjunction with each other so you're able to step back and say that oh wow this is something which is really cool i'll give you one of the, i'll give you one of the very interesting insights that i had uh, while i was doing my first vipassana i mean now it's of course uh, it's common uh, it's common knowledge um but I mean I've obviously obviously been a, like I would assume a lot of us I'm a major technology addict I use my phone incessantly I use my I'm in front of my screen for maybe 14 to 16 hours a day uh and then I mean and we justified saying that hey it's work and stuff but while I went to my vipassana I realized something right so all these since I, since I also come from the tech world what I realized is that all these tech products are built addictive by design right so whether it's a facebook yeah. uh, whether it's a facebook whether it's an instagram or whether it's a tiktok uh, they 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 have they have behavior forming design attached to it right so there's a lovely book that you guys should pick up it's not just hooked by this guy known as Neil Ayer so he talks of how there's a proper loop that you go through 
to form a behavior forming product these by there's like scientists who are doing this by design right exactly so there's Neil Iyer there's BJ Fogg and both of them are like product designers who talk of addictive design now these things i mean so with so um, your your social media or, or any app out there is addictive by design now we just don't it's the form of media is so new we really don't understand its ramifications right but once you go inside you realize that hey listen uh, we got how many between all social uh, media today we probably have 3 billion people we don't really understand um, what are the ramifications of incessant use of social media but let's flip it around just imagine if there are 3 billion people smoking in the world incessantly right and this is and this is not this is not like passive smoking this is like chain smoking you're on it for 10 12 hours a day you're it's a respite from any moment of drudgery right uh, so it's and um, there is no and these are these are what these are some of the, the most massive corporations in the world which are which are constantly uh, trying you know what they're trying to win your attention or uh, gun for your attention they're making money of your attention so okay so i know we're digressing a little from this but essentially you you emerge with a lot of clarity like this so my initial thought was hey listen let's uh, it's time to fight back it's time to reclaim let's build an anti addictive product but anyway we didn't go about doing it but uh, you get a lot of insights this is one of the insights that i had plus you have so many other insights there are also there are also some uh, not business implication insights i'll give you some of the other ones that i had so just the idea when you are breathing right uh, since you're just focusing on your breath uh, throughout you literally feel so connected with the trees around you right you actually do realize consciously that hey listen a part of my respiration system actually does lie outside wow that's so wow. interesting yeah <laughs> right so like a part of my entire respiration system is outside and you don't consciously think of it while you're just whatever you're doing your every day but there you're like wow man i mean um, there is there is such happiness uh, is such bliss even like in like a deep breath or like just the entire respiration process by itself is just so uh, magical coming to think of it and uh, you just aware of these things just the awareness of these subtleties you know that's i think that's in a way maybe arti could also agree with me but that's what really does give you a lot of happiness absolutely i think like it's it's our human condition to either live in the past or live in the future right and what vipassana forces you to do is to literally live in the moment and it has similar like miraculous like um you know revelations i've had like multiple revelations through my vipassana experience just about life and basic things something as basic as oh yeah of course technology is bad for you but <laughs> when you are able to deconstruct an idea like that and um, just self awareness is i what i believe is the first self towards self trans uh, first step towards self transformation so the more self aware you become about all these different things like the, the more you can actually uh work on yourself to be your best version of yourself right and uh, so vipassana for me in that sense was just wow like mind blowing just the kind of thoughts i had while i was there and uh, just these revelations about and feeling connected with the world around you and like people around you and like this whole feeling of oneness with everything around you was just gorgeous yeah that sounds so interesting and i guess what i'm hearing from both of you is that in our constant lives and in our daily lives we um feed ourselves with so much that there is very little space for anything else right in terms of content or technology or just life living life and the de- 
the vipassana forces you to declutter everything and really clean the shelf in a way and then see what the possibilities of thoughts or ideas that you know you you get or or i guess in in your words revelations and insights and all of these uh incredible things so yeah it, it sounds really interesting for for someone who's considering vipassana or you know is is now suddenly getting an aha moment of oh my god i so need this in my life right now what what is a common myth about vipassana uh, or any form of meditation and how would you debunk it cool so the first uh, so let's talk i'll talk vipassana specifically and then go to meditation right yeah. um so vipassana i think the first myth is that hey listen the hardest part is is not talking for 10 days and arti or anybody who knows me would be testimony to it that hey listen i actually don't shut i don't shut up ever but that's you know, listen to this now <laughs> <laughs> <Just kidding. laughs> but i to be entirely honest that is the easiest part if you ask me just being uh, but maybe it's a personality type also so i mean even though on the face of it i may not appear so but i'm fairly introverted uh, but <clears throat> Yeah so for me that was the easiest part just staying shut for 10 days was actually re- relatively easy the hard part if you ask me is very often just sitting for hours together in uh, folded legs hours together in a meditation hall so your mm. joints get stiff uh, there will be pains in your body that you that will resurface after years together stuff like that does happen i mean i don't want to sugar coat it and say that hey listen none of that happens and that's that but to be entirely honest um it's good to have it's good to have those aches and pains because that's when you really understand what mind over matter really means mind over body really means so that stuff which is there which uh, which is the harder part but there is something interesting which happens right uh, so you're meditating uh, so depending on the size of your center you're meditating uh, with either 100 people or 200 people or maybe 300 people at the end of the stand days uh, despite never having spoken to those people never even having consciously made eye contact with them you emerge with a sort of kinship and camaraderie that you rarely get you know after 10 days meeting people wow. and it's like wow man i mean we've just been through this both of us have gone through one side of the tunnel come out of the other side of tunnel tunnel we're all so much happier we all wish the best for each other um so you know you can work with somebody for a year but you may not feel that kinship that you feel with somebody after like 10 days of vipassana it's it's quite phenomenal that's so interesting i I it's almost like energies agree. and vibes, right? Energies yes, that are absolutely. I completely off. agree. Like these are people whom you don't speak to at all, but like on the last day when you break the silence, there's this bizarre familiarity. Like you've seen the shoes, like because before going into the meditation hall, <laughs> you like see all yeah. the shoes and up, and you know who wears which shoes. Like even if you're just looking down the whole time, like and you associate people with the certain aura, and like it's interesting. I found myself like. actually connecting with people even without saying even without looking at them and like when you finally break your silence and you walk up to them and say the first thing you feel like you know them you've known them a while which is a bizarre feeling and it's it's beautiful and also like this whole experience of breaking the silence in itself is so unique and interesting cuz you've been so quiet so my question <laughs> is what was your first word both of you <laughs> No it was I, in my case it was not so climatic I don't think I consciously remember what was the first word uh but it would have probably been I don't know I, I actually don't know or maybe how was it asking somebody <laughs> Yeah for me also it was like hi and it's, it's it was bizarre because 
I hadn't exercised my voice box for like 10 days. So when I said something, I didn't sound like myself in my head. And this is the first time I was hearing myself speak in my head versus hearing my thoughts in my head, you know. So that was a very different experience too. So yeah, yeah. it's almost like what is the sound that your thought makes versus what is the sound that your head hears yeah right it's and essentially that's what you're training your mind to do right because for those 10 days you're not being bombarded by external thoughts and opinions and you're being forced to listen to what are your own thoughts and like how you're like forced to look inwards in the truest sense so you're just so used to that and then suddenly this this whole you're breaking that you're breaking that barrier or like pushing through that envelope that you know you were so used to for 10 days absolutely it's a it's a very interesting experience the first words you say and then also just getting your phone back that was the (laughs) most like I don't know anxiety point of addiction after yeah yeah, what was the first thing you did with your phone when you got it back actually I got my when I got my phone back I I, to be honest I didn't even touch it for the first six hours I would just let it be uh I do yeah, I don't think I had the, the entire, I, I mean, like today, I uh, like three hours without my phone, I have FOMO, right? But there it was 10 days without my phone, but I didn't have any FOMO. Uh, coming back to it, I mean, I, I, I relapsed, not entirely, <laughs> but yeah. Yeah, so I guess that's my next question, right? How you've had this intense experience for those 10 days and you make up all these um, ideas about, well, this is what I learned from it. This is how I'm going to implement it in my real life. So how easy to your point is to fall back into your old patterns? How easy is it to, again, be addicted to technology? And, you know, how how do you kind of keep up that clarity in the real world? Sure. So I think the first thing is that uh, Vipassana or meditation is honestly not the practice of sitting down for two hours. It is actually a lifestyle change that you need to make. Right now, uh, having said that, it does become really, I mean, to make it a lifestyle change after, say, 25, 27 years of like living life a certain way, one 10 day meditation retreat is not going to change that. You'll still default back to your own, uh, your old behaviors, right? Your old behavior patterns. But one of the things that you can definitely do is incorporate an element of meditation into your everyday life. Uh, so I have a very, ever since then, I've got a very interesting morning routine. So I wake up in the morning and I, uh, Meditate. I'd be supposed to meditate for an hour, but I meditate between 30 to 45 minutes every day. Uh, and then I spend about 20 minutes journaling, right? Just scribbling thoughts uh, out into a, into a notebook. Incredible. But those 20 minutes of journaling post Vipassana and with like a nice cup of green tea, again, gives me that level of clarity that I used to experience in, during my Vipassana session. So it's, it's, a, it's a great mental dump for you that you wake up in the morning, you meditate, and then you start journaling. And uh, yeah, I mean, uh, once you're there, you got you are just organized and set and centered for the rest of the day. So um, there is a significant difference in uh, my mindset, my energy levels, everything in a day where I meditate versus a day that I don't. Right. So um, the key, essentially, yeah. if you ask me, is yeah. just to incorporate a bit of uh, incorporate meditation as a daily habit. And, um, you know, it should it should feel as natural as waking up in the morning and going and brushing your teeth. Right. So if it's just something like this, Mm -hmm. uh, you will the effects of it last through the day. That's incredible. And there's so much study and research around some of the most successful people who have 
traditional morning rituals right morning rituals and and so, a lot of those include things like journaling or meditating or just you know taking some time for yourself it could be listening to your favorite song or reading yeah what would your advice be for someone who's now really intrigued and looking to sign themselves up for the next vipassana course my first sent is what nike says right just do it you really just you should just go and plunge yourself i don't think you should <laughs> i really don't think you should uh, vacillate think too much about hey listen should i do it or not do it i know because taking 11 days off to be honest because the first day is actually not day 1 is day 0 uh, so taking 11 days off uh, is a trade off that you're making from your annual leave quota as well mm-hmm. right for those of our co- of us who are corporate slaves i suppose <laughs> yeah. or i mean if or if or if you're doing your your thing on your own 11 days it just seems like um, hard to to extricate yourself from from but it's something which you should life. or even life right but it's an investment which to be honest you will uh, never regret uh, it is it's an investment that every person should make once because as as much as you can talk about vipassana i don't think anyone can really articulate what the experience is what the experience of actually doing a vipassana is right i can i can talk i can talk to a, talk to you about it from my perspective and i'm sure the experience i've had is fundamentally different from the experience arti has had or the or the experience that you will have mm mm-hmm, mm mm-hmm. absolutely um i would second arvin on that uh but also say what arvin had said earlier about how vipassana has to find you so mm. i had been trying to do vipassana for at least 2 or 3 years and i never made it happen right but i'm also a big believer in like just timing and serendipity and destiny in some ways and like life gives you what you need at the moment that you need it the most and uh, i think the time that i did with uh, the you know when i did end up doing vipassana it couldn't have been there couldn't have been a better time and it just came to me and i'm so glad i did it um like i wouldn't have it any other way and just in terms of what it gave me in terms of um i mean sis you saw me right after i got yeah. out of vipassana and you saw me before i left and you saw me after i got back and there was this significant change yeah it was like something shifted in- Yeah, yeah, it was like something shifted inside of me. I felt most like my core self, like my old self, myself from when I was younger, myself from, you know, pre all this conditioning and all this contamination by the world, and you feel like your purest self and like it's such a beautiful feeling. And if not for anything, I would just encourage you to like go find that self of yours that you feel like you had lost, you know, years ago. That sounds beautiful. I think that's that's fantastic and we should definitely end the Vipassana uh segment on that. So guys, everyone, sign yourself up for the nearest Vipassana center or any meditation to be honest, right? Arvin, before we let you go, what are you curious about right now and what are your hopes for the future? So, what am I curious about? I'm curious about like a bunch of things. I'm all, I'm thinking a hundred things, but uh what am I curious about right now? I have recently uh, been exploring and studying machine learning in quite a deep way i know i'm getting a little nerdy here no we're all nerds here we enjoy yeah, this we all are. <laughs> so i'm Go getting a little it. nerdy so machine learning is something which i'm actually um, so okay let me give you the zeitgeist right so essentially people have been trying to match 
uh, create artificial intelligence for the last 70 years. So, mm -hmm. uh, or maybe even longer, apparently even the Romans and Greeks were trying to do it. But modern, modern AI is about 70 years old. And uh, the English uh, the English guy, Turing, is, the, is known as the father of AI. Right? Yep. But essentially... Who built Enigma, right? Who built Enigma, exactly. Yep. Uh, so, but essentially for the first 60, 70 years, we weren't able to make any progress or, or any significant headway, right? In the last 20 years, there has been a branch of machine learning known as deep learning, uh, which has really, really, which has really picked up. So, machine learning is nothing but... <clears throat> They're trying to replicate how your brain really works, right? So your brain is is connected through neurons, and here you build a neural network, pass information through it, and through pattern recognition, computers are now smart enough to figure out, hey, listen, this is what it is. That's why you see like major advances in terms of, say, image recognition, or just the fact that if you guys use, say, Google Hangouts, it can auto-translate while you're speaking because it just because now it has enough data, it's able to pattern recognize. So this is this is a branch which has gained significant, which has had massive uh, improvement in the last ten years, and it's something which is evolving on a date on a on a yearly basis. Actually, right? I won't say day to day; it's hard to perceive change so fast. But at least on a yearly basis, you can see pronounced uh, change. The most interesting, uh, the most interesting development which happened in our lifetimes, if you ask me, is um, Google DeepMind built something known as AlphaGo. So there is this Korean game known as Go, um, and so they took they took the Roger Federer of Go, so like the like the best player of Go, and made made that compete against AlphaGo, which is Google's AI which learned to play Go, and Google. And Google's AI beat the master four games is to one. And I'll tell you the difference between this and uh, and beating a computer at chess. When, when, when you try to beat a computer at chess, what you essentially do is you study all the possible moves and the computer makes the best decision. So it hasn't really learned the game, but it's just used greater computing power to figure out what to do. Here, AlphaGo actually figured out what to do, learned the game and beat the best champion in it, right? So... I mean, it's very interesting from a technical point, but even if you look at it, where does humanity stand? This is essentially the child of humanity, right? AI is a child of humanity. In my opinion, in the next 30 to 40 years, I hopefully all of us are lucky enough to see it, it will way strip human intelligence. And maybe in 70 years, the difference in, in consciousness levels between uh, humans and, and the kids of humanity, so to say, will be like the difference between a chicken to a human. And uh, that's what uh, that's what's really interesting. That's what's that's, that's where I'm spending a lot of time today uh, these days. All my free time just reading up, researching uh, more about this. But I think it's fascinating. No, I agree. It's absolutely fascinating. Both fascinating and um, scary at the same time. I <laughs> I, I will admit that. But uh, I guess what is the most interesting application for you about AI? Right. I mean, it's it's great when computers are beating like chess champions and tennis champions and all of that. But for you, what is that particular application that you're most excited about? Uh, I think I, I think the technology is too recent right now. If I come up with use cases, I'm actually not uh, really uh, talking of the entire impact of it, right? So I think some of the more obvious applications sure. which are interesting is stuff like, say, uh, self-driving cars, right? That's interesting, but that's exactly, that's not what it could be. Yeah. I'll tell you. I'll tell you what this could potentially be. So today, one of the reasons why we are, say, struggling uh, with finding a cause for corona, 
virus or global warming. It's because you're talking of thousands of variables interacting with each other that the human mind is just not capable enough of grasping. The moment you have a being which is more sentient yeah, than yeah. us, which is which is more intelligent than us, uh, you will be able to solve these questions that we just didn't have enough intelligence to solve. Right. So those are going to be some of the more interesting applications that will probably emerge in the next 20 to 30 years. Right. Uh, for the next five to 10 years, we'll see narrow AI, which is say, hey, listen, uh, can we make a car drive? Uh, can we uh, make a fridge smart? Can we do X, Y, Z? Or say, can we do can we do natural language processing? We can we'll see those kind of applications emerge. I think the interesting time is going to be maybe another 10 years from now once uh, AI genuinely becomes really really smart and it can do things that humans can't do. Absolutely, and and supercomputers overtake humans. I'm I'm so looking forward to that, Arvind. Thank you so much. <laughs> They will yeah. aid us. They will yeah. aid us. They will not as much as. Uh, well, that's the kind of arrogance that you know, humans have, like leads, humans have, and kind of like leads situations. to our. Yeah, I know, <laughs> but but I think it's it's very clear that uh, you know things like meditation and vipassana have given you that clarity to be able to focus on the right fo on the things that you're most excited about and most interested about right and that's really fascinating what you're curious about right now awesome and our last question arvind is because you're on a podcast called life of a global desi what does the term global desi mean to you and how do you identify as a global desi so I was actually thinking of this. So the more you think of it with like greater um, internet penetration, media penetration, there is a sort of a mosaic of different cultures which is which is being built, right? And um, people from, and it's like a global culture right now, but with elements from different parts of the world, right? So uh, a global desi for me is, hey, very, uh, so you're, you're adding to this mosaic, this, this mosaic of our current culture, with an Indian, with with your Indianness to it, with your uh, desi, your desi pan or desi ness to it, right? So, it is global for me is the mosaic, and desi is the element that you guys bring to the mosaic. That's awesome! Yeah, yeah. I love that. That's a very um, yeah. very interesting definition. Arvind, where can people find you on social media? Yeah, I mean, I am. You can, they can find me wherever. I would rather, if somebody is in Bangalore, I would rather meet them in person <laughs> than, than chat with them. But otherwise, I'm fairly active on Twitter. I am fairly active. I was active on Facebook. I'm fairly active on Twitter, actually. If you want to find me, Twitter is probably the best place. Uh, my username is Arvind Ishwar. I don't, I tweet primarily about startups and technology. Uh, but I do throw in a little bit of consciousness here. I do throw in a little bit of meditation here and there. Uh, but if you, but the best way to contact me is uh, you come down to Bangalore or wherever we are. Uh, would love to catch up with you guys. Fab, we'll have your Twitter handle in the show notes. Yay. And thank you so much for sharing your experience about Vipassana. We're so so excited, and um, for one of our very first guests on the podcast. Thanks so much, Arvind, yes, for coming. This was really lovely. really appreciate it. It was lovely. And uh, it was so much fun getting to know you better. I do feel like I know you a lot more. And hopefully, next time I'm in Hyderabad, we should all you know do something fun. So yay! Yes, and hopefully the next time I meet you, you've already done your Vipassana. Oh, yes, absolutely. Maybe maybe in the US or in India and we can all nerd out about Vipassana. <laughs> all right. Thanks, everyone. All right, stay curious and keep listening. See you guys. Bye. Bye. Hey, Daisies. 
If you enjoyed this episode, then please rate, review and subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify or wherever else you're listening to podcasts. And drop us a note on lifeofaglobaldesi at gmail.com or our social media to keep up this awesome dialogue. Oh, and don't forget to give us a five-star rating. You're so cheap. Why are you asking them for five-star ratings? <laughs> well, I always ask for the rating I want, not the one I have. You know, like dress for the job you want, not the one you have. That's like the stupidest thing I've heard all day. Aarti, you're so judgmental. What? You need to stop being Listen, judgmental. <laughs> I just think you can't be so demanding. That's all. You ask for what you want. Bleh.